Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Geoffrey Farrer and I'm a Methodist minister based in Putney in London. Before I was ordained, I spent 10 years working in the House of Commons as a clerk and I'm committed to connecting how we pray and read our scriptures with how we vote and how we live. Each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today, I'm very pleased to be joining Sienna Sexton in Oxford. Sienna is a recent graduate of politics and international relations. And during university, she was involved in establishing The Switch, ethical banking campaign. She now works for Just Love UK, working to equip students and support graduates to pursue justice with their whole lives. Sienna works with students in Oxford and Nottingham and with alumni. She's passionate about equipping people to reach their potential and working for impactful social justice. In her free time, Sienna can be found trying to learn French, running, reading, rock climbing and volunteering to support refugees. Well, Sienna, it's lovely to have you with us and thank you so much for giving uh, up your time to be with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a real great fun to be with you today. Oh, good. Now, Sienna, we always ask the same question of everybody. The first question is always the same. When you hear people saying that politics and the pulpit shouldn't mix, what's your response? Well, I actually have a bit of a mixed response. I think um, on the one hand, I'm really convinced that our faith has social consequences, um, as we've seen from its start with Jesus really living alongside people on the margins and challenging um, religious figures. And then also in the early church you see this again in the way that like so <laughs> the social norms are just kind of flipped on its head with who's included in community and the way that community's done um and the consequences that had for the way that they were living it was a real threat to the or seen as a real threat to the roman state and so you see that um the christian faith has always kind of been somewhat political because of its social consequences and also as a student of politics um i'd be betraying myself if i didn't say that I think politics is integrated into so much of life and into so many of the decisions that we make that we really can't take faith out of the picture. Just as we, when we go to church, we don't leave ourselves at the door. We take our whole selves, including our political and opinions and our social opinions and the issues that we're facing into church. And so also if you're in a place where you're teaching into the pulpit. Um, however, on the other hand, I think when I hear this, I sometimes like what comes to mind is the US and the rise of the as of the like religious right and how that's yeah. kind of led quite negatively to um, like increased <laughs> politicization and divisiveness. And that sits quite uncomfortably with me. So I'd probably say that like party politics, so, so politics of the big P um, shouldn't be preached from the from the pulpit, in my opinion. Um, and that we should always probably as Christians be uncomfortable with what some of each of the parties say. We're never going to probably align perfectly with all of them. However, our faiths and thus our pulpits will always be like calling us into the world and into the social issues that are around us and so we will be forced to engage with the political and social structures around us um and so I think that you know while I don't think that politics party politics should be in the pulpits I do think that politics will inevitably and should has always been part of the Christian faith engaging with it has been that prophetic voice, perhaps, we need mm. to be a critical friend. Yes. yes. 
that sounds very yes i'd agree with everything there so thank you for that sienna um before we plunge into our readings we just note what's going on in the world within the life of the church we are in lent um we, yesterday was refreshment sunday so i hope people felt refreshed <laughs> after that we're about halfway through and we're coming up to passion sunday this sunday um we're marking two UN days in the coming weeks, the UN International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination on the 21st of March, and the UN International Day of Remembrance for the Victims of Slavery and the Transatlantic Slave Trade on the 25th. And we've got World Water Day on the 22nd of March. And all of these might be relevant for what we're going to discuss later. Uh, in the news, we have uh, President Xi of China visiting Putin in Moscow. We've got Boris Johnson's Partygate defence to be published today and a grilling by the uh, Commons Privilege Committee on Wednesday, which I have a horrible feeling will take things to a new low. But there we go. Um, and uh, although we struggle to understand it, um, there was a forced takeover of Credit Suisse over the weekend. Um, I say some of us will struggle to understand it because the world of banking and finance does seem to be a very complicated uh, one. And all of those issues, or perhaps none of them, will come up later in our discussions. In terms of the lectionary, once again, we have a nice meaty reading from John uh, to follow the others we've had this uh, Lent. This time it's the uh, raising of Lazarus from John 11. We have uh, from Romans 8, uh, Psalm 130, and one of the uh, best known and perhaps best loved passages in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. So, Sienna, um, those readings, sometimes it's hard, to easy, as we, we've been doing it since Christmas, sometimes we struggle to see the connection. Are there any themes that emerge for you for the, from those four readings? Yeah, I actually felt, felt that there were quite a few um, <laughs> themes that tied tied them together and was quite excited by the fact that there were some really interesting things that we could pull out this week. Um, so across the text, I feel like some of the key themes that we could draw are around um, how do you engage with hopelessness, like hope and hopelessness, um, or hope in the midst of hopelessness. Um, and then there's also things around redemption and what does it look like for there to be like restoration of life um, in also in the midst of grief suffering and death mm. mm -hmm. yeah that sounds all good sounds good to me yeah um, so where i mean so some nice small issues to to wrestle <laughs> with um where would you like to start and we begin to bring those themes out yeah, well, maybe we could start in the Valley of Death, um, and yep. it's only going up from there, I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, we're in the Valley of Dry Bones with Ezekiel yeah. in chapter 37. Yeah. So um, this passage, I think, for so many of us, is it's it's an incredibly evocative and maybe slightly confusing passage. Um, I think for me, it's always been one that I've been like, wow, the imagery in this is so strong. As someone who loves literature and reading and who has a lot of poet friends, it's something that really um, the imagery that's here like is really striking. And I think that we are drawn into this passage in, in many ways. Um, but I think one of the really, 
I think the reason that this passage maybe resonates so much is because I think all of us in some ways have seen in, in the world around us. Um, I think for me particularly, this is relevant when I look at the world and try and see what God's doing is so often it feels like actually we're in this like dark place um, where there's no hope. And actually what we're seeing around us, particularly when we read the news is death and destruction and just mm. absolute hopelessness, including when you look at our national politics, as much as when you look at things going on around the world. Um, and this passage is really striking in that God invites Ezekiel into the midst of this dry this valley of dry bones um which is a slightly horrifying image i think in some ways like maybe slightly when i was a bit younger it was like slightly frightening to think that Mm. you're there in the midst of all of this death um and he then invites he invites ezekiel to be part of the process of restoration um and we they we see this amazing story unfold where ezekiel god and through ezekiel um like brings this valley to life and bring these they, brings these people to life um and we just see this incredible picture of this like i i love the fact that he uses it's not just bones but it's like dry bones there's no life it's not there's nothing there um there's nothing that is is living still um and god uses even even the, in the midst of this dryness, he brings out life and completely brings back newness of life. And I think that's just so powerful and striking when we look around the world and we see more wars. We see also like huge amounts of drought and like climate instability. Um, and like we're not even really talking about it, but there as much as we should be potentially like the droughts that are happening in the Horn of Africa and in eastern africa and then also on the other hand you have the fact that there's been massive devastation in malawi and other countries with um, cyclone freddie and how that's just been an unprecedented and totally destructive cyclone and like when you're looking at those kinds of when we're thinking about climate actually how do we think of can we can we use this passage to give us hope when it just seems really hopeless um i don't know if you've seen but today the i PPC, um, I think, or is IC- IPCC? IPCC, Intergovernmental yeah. Panel on Climate Change. I yeah, think. I think, but thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, their newest report has just is coming out today, and the headlines aren't looking good. And essentially, there's if we're gonna keep below 1.5 degrees, it's really we're gonna require some really drastic action in the next couple of mm. years in the very, very near future. And it doesn't feel like we're anywhere near getting to that stage politically within the UK, but also around the world. Like there's a lot of confusion over um, how some of the biggest polluters in the world, like their, their policies just often contradict each other. So there'll be some really amazing action on climate change. And then there's also new investments in fossil fuels. And so it just feels like at the moment, we really need a bit of that life being breathed into into the world. Um, And that I think that I definitely find as someone who's been involved in climate action um, and climate activism, sometimes, um, sometimes I can be like, either there's like, an overemphasis on the grief and um there's like a complete lack of hope but then on the other hand there can be like a no we can do this like the world it will be totally fine and there's i think christianity and passages like this bring this like real 
hope into the into the picture which is really helpful just even practically when engaging with issue in with activism um because you have an acknowledgement of the fact that there is a dry there's mm. the valley of dry bones but then also that we do have this hope that through us um um but that god as sovereign can act and can breathe new life into situations of extreme hopelessness and i find that like really encouraging but also I feel like this passage and maybe we can hop into some of the other passages as well um has it, it allows us to dwell in in the valley of dry bones as well and acknowledge that as a as a reality which is also important when engaging with the injustices around us and I think I mean I think that's it raises so many interesting things that we a preacher could pursue I think it's two I'd pick out. First of all, there is the challenge, a perennial challenge for preachers of, and we've talked about this again in the, in the last few months, there's that traditional um, purpose of the preacher is to afflict the comfortable and to, com to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and as a preacher, I'm very conscious of that need to balance. You've got to challenge people out of their complacency on all sorts of issues, but you also have to offer comfort and hope. And, and as you said, there is that real balance, which I, and I know pressure groups and charities face it as well, because they recognise that if it's unrelenting bad news, which it could be, then people will just switch off and mm. disengage. Yeah, I think that is very true of the climate crisis, because we have had to really push people's faces into it and say this it is as bad as you think. But if we focus on the, the water issue from mm -hmm. the valley, I think um, there is so much there. And we, we both, I think, had read a, a, the same article in The Guardian from last week. And it, it, it's something we've known about for a long time. The security of water supply is going to be the next big crisis. And yeah, it's already it, a crisis. In it so is. Places. Yes. I don't know. It's, so I try and keep abreast of global mm. news and a bit of like development news. I'm very proactive in where I get mm. my news sources from, because I think sometimes it can just feel like a horrific onslaught of terrible mm. news. And so I also try to focus on getting my news from places that are action oriented or like there's, mm. there's some hope in there um, because you can hear about the things that people are actually doing so I get like a range of kind of newsletters from all sorts of different organizations and news sources and this has really opened my eyes to some issues that we're not really talking about and was I was kind of I knew I think we all know that climate change is having huge impacts on people like through natural disasters um but I was I think kind of like my passion for climate action was sort of reignited when I was hearing from some um, some stories from Somalia about how there's been a massive well like a bit of an increase in intertribal violence but this isn't because of anything other than just a lack of water mm. in the regions and the government's really struggling to try and like temper the violence because ultimately it's just about a lack of resources and you're or if we're already seeing this now and we're not even at 1.5 degrees yeah. warming it's only going to get worse and so both like water poverty in that like we really want people everyone to have access to clean water is really important but just like access to water full stop is mm. is already a challenge and there's only going to get worse um if we're not 
if we we don't drastically change things um yes and and in a christian context of course we're very kind of like the water of life and the symbols mm -hmm. you know symbolism of water and and jesus coming from um a, a country where water management is very mm -hmm. very important or historically has been and is now very controversial about who gets access to water in israel and and and, and, and palestine um but also, as you say, it, 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 we're going to see, and we already have seen, conflict between nation mm -hmm. about water. And there's, again, a Christian input there in, 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 in the idea that this, this is an issue that transcends national boundaries. And it, it's another nail in the coffin of nationalism. It just shows why nationalism doesn't work, because water does not respect national boundaries. And we've seen conflicts in, as you say, in, in, in East Africa in particular at the minute, because rivers flow from, they don't just stick in one country, they flow through countries and countries share those resources. And we're going to have to work above and beyond national boundaries to transcend these issues. Mm, yeah, no, no, you're right. We really are. Um, and it's a, it's a real challenge because I think it requires this kind of imagination, which is part of the whole, like, I don't know, there's a, a part of like the challenge of the prophets as well is like this bringing this like new imagination to the way that we respond to issues that feel really intractable. Um, and that's like, a, I think that be, it's it's a real challenge to, to the church and also to politicians to be trying to to bring the the imagination like the the like the imagery of the breathing of new life into mm -hmm. the valley of dry bones and um, how how do we do that um i don't know if we could like go back a little bit in our conversation if that would be okay mm -hmm. um i yeah. feel like we talked a little bit about um we we touched briefly on what it looks like to kind of like <laughs> um dwell in the valley and that like mm -hmm. really links into some of the other passages um perfect let's go on yeah. Um, Where would you like to go next? Um, maybe we could start with Psalm 130. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. So as you say, we're back in the valley of despair. What would you like to say here, Sienna? I think I just want to unpack what it means to mm. engage with lament. I think that as Christians, we can so often move straight into praise and straight into the reimagination. But I think that this passage, if we look at it, it doesn't, it ends with like, I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. And then Israel put your hope in the Lord for the Lord is in is unfailing well, for with mm. the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel for all their sins. I think that like, actually the summit doesn't really reach a resolution like it's calling people to rely on the lord but it's not saying like mm -hmm. and god responded to our cries actually this is one of those psalms that like ends with the yes you live in hope and you put your trust in in god and jesus but actually people you're still in that position where you are waiting um and I think that as a, maybe in my experience living in the UK um, over the past number, however many years, um, we've, I've definitely seen that like the, the UK church is, maybe it's also particularly the denominations that I've been in, but we don't necessarily sit comfortably in lament. And like, we're not, we, I've never really been in a, a space outside of some of the just love spaces that I was in as a student and see now actually with some of the students that I work with, like a space for corporate lament um, and like 
crying out together to the Lord. And I think that that's something that we don't find easy. Maybe it's just as like slightly emotionally repressed British people. Mm. Um, But also, yeah, we don't have that kind of cultural understanding of how to do grief together um but i do think that there's so much that we can learn and the bible has like lamentations is a whole book of the bible about lament so many of the psalms are sit sat in this place of lament and i think that when we i think that like actually the process of going through lament in order to get to to hope or in order to get to action is like really crucial when you engage with justice because um so i if you haven't read anything by emmanuel katongole i would really recommend it there's this book that he wrote called born from lament and then also water brueggemann is excellent on these but um both of these authors um have really shaped the way that i as someone who's really passionate about justice has really like helped me to engage with god and suffering and how do i sit in this place with like a good god in the midst of like intense suffering um sometimes in my own life but often in the world around me and in the lives of people that i know particularly refugees um and i think that like the pattern of lament as like acknowledging that things aren't right and like waiting in that time um and then calling god to action is like so powerful we don't just like sit there crying but actually for example in this psalm it's like out of my depths i cry to you let your ears be attentive for my cry from to um to my cry for mercy and then like put your hope in the lord for the with the lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption we Mm -hmm. see that like actually god listens and just as God listens, we see in the, we can see in the passage in John that actually like God takes part in that process of lament. And that's an incredible, incredibly powerful thing. And also it's really, I'm really compelled by what Walter Brueggemann um, writes around how like, actually, if we aren't lamenting well, we, we can, we can be involved in like (laughs) un- unhistorical or completely like socially removed praise like we're not actually praising God from the midst of our circumstances like when the world is like falling down around Mm. you or it feels like it in your personal circumstances when you're going through personal like crises or those around you are like actually I think praise is a really powerful thing but also like acknowledging the suffering and being able to praise from that position of having lamented is really helpful um, and is also biblical. And I think it's something that I used to be scared of, um, but it's something that I've seen really helpful for people, like particularly some of the asylum seekers and refugees that um, I've worked with who are in these positions of, like not all of them are people of faith or or Christians, um, but they're all in this position of waiting. They're at the mercy of a fairly broken system, even according to home office, um like publications like the system isn't working that well in the UK so and we're about to start offshoring people to Rwanda even victims of modern slavery which is just very depressing we're really praying that the courts find it to be illegal um but when I think yeah I've had some there's been some really powerful stories recently in Oxford of some of the refugees coming along to churches and just like coming up to church like and really like crying and bringing to the church the fact that their families are still in really dangerous countries and 
that they aren't there and that they can't help and that the families are being threatened by um by the authorities and what do you as a christian like we sit so comfortably in the church actually like being able to live alongside in some way these refugees it really takes me out of myself because Mm -hmm. like that's just so different to my reality and what does it look like for them and the fact that they can come to church and they can come and ask for prayer and be supported by the community in some small way is incredibly powerful but also like so challenging how do you how do you trust God in those positions and to see them being able to do that is I don't I don't know if I would have that strength actually if I'm totally honest um I, I mean I'd agree with everything you said there about the power of lament and 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 the situation and I think there is that situ- the experiences of hopelessness mm. now as you say there's nothing nothing really that most of us can you know for most of us it would be a situation of grief or illness or loss but for folks like the, the ones you volunteer with asylum seekers refugees that is their daily reality of a broken system and 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 it is it is a valley of dry bones with no seeming hope mm. and the church you know we i feel as a minister we feel so helpless a lot of the time mm. um because we can offer a little bit here or a little bit there but mm. we cannot change that especially if the illegal immigration bill comes into force we will be utterly powerless now let's what i think we may have to we may have to skip romans so to preachers out there we're sorry but we've got such a most preachers will be uh, wrestling with the gospel uh, at some point. And if you've got the gospel reading in Ezekiel, then I think there's, that's a lot there. Yeah, <laughs> because it's another large chunk from John. So coming into John's gospel and the death of Lazarus, interesting to pick up what you say there about needing time for lament. Now, there's a theological purpose there, but Jesus does allow time for lament with the death of Lazarus he doesn't go off immediately and make everything right and 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 as he says there uh, uh he says um, and he's criticized by that uh, uh by Martha uh if you had been here but he said you know these things are happening uh, to show uh, show the messiah um but there is time for lament and there is genuine lament and of course we have the famous Jesus wept verse um so we've got real lament going on there what else would you like to sort of pick up about this passage yeah I think it's just really striking how like Jesus God through Jesus Jesus as Mm. God like enters into the people suffering around him and does that in a way that you see the in the ways that he responds to Mary and Martha he responds individually um and he responds differently based on how what they need and I think that's like really beautiful actually to see that like our God's a God who cares enough and knows enough about each of us to be able to well in that he knew them in the in a different way to the way that um, he knows me I don't know God as as flesh in front of me right now um but it's really beautiful to see how Jesus like responded to each of those women and responded to their their grief um and wasn't um 
I think there's also like, so we can take lament as this thing that's like very, um, yeah, maybe God can deal with it. Maybe God can't like, is is it okay for me to like really be like, well, God, what are you doing here? Um, And ask those Mm. kinds of big questions. Um, And in that passage, they're literally asked (laughs) to Jesus's face. Like if you had been here earlier, he wouldn't have died. And Mm. like, that's really challenging to me because I think I often can like hold back because it feels like oh no I can't I can't say this like this is this is a step too far um but actually that like God really did doesn't mind and in that relationship responded um to that and then I I think so that's a lot about like God entering into and so like the process of lament but also it's just crazy to think that God enters into the same grief about suffering, even when he knew that he was going to go and bring Lazarus literally back from the grave. Jesus wasn't like, just like, hang on five minutes, like pause, pause your grief. I'm going to go and sort this out. And then we can have another chat. Jesus like chose to be present with them in that moment and to rage against death when it says that Jesus cries out I'm sure that this won't be new news for people but by that crying out it's like a violent shout um a violent cry um of anger at at the fact that Lazarus is is dead and I think it's sometimes um if it doesn't feel like Uh, And I like I know that God cares about injustice, but to think that like God is actually really angry at injustice and at death, Mm -hmm. there's something quite comforting about that in particularly if you're in the midst of grief. And then you move from this place of like God being in grief um, and like really being present there. God being angry at death and injustice to God bringing about complete transformation and restoration and redemption in a way that was like beyond the imagination of anyone there. I don't think anyone thought that Jesus was going to do that. We don't see that in the passage. Um, Well, we do. No, sorry. I lie. We don't see that from everyone in the passage and the disciples were really confused. We do see um, when Jesus talks about being the redemption and life and, um, I can't remember if it's Mary or Martha who's like, I know that anything's possible through you. Mm. Um, but we do, we see that like Jesus does seemingly the impossible. And and when we were talking earlier about hope in the midst of hopelessness, this is one of the most striking examples of that. And then we see this again in the cross um, mm. when, you know, you see utter hopelessness. Um, and then actually it's brought about like greater hope and greater like great good for for all people um yeah i mean this wonderful story and you can see very very clearly why the people who put the lecture together brought brought these two stories together out of despair hope out of the valley of death comes life Mm -hmm. and and a wonderful powerful message there one of the most important christian messages um but again, it's that the question that you've raised is how long do we stay in lament? Mm. Because that is the challenge for us. How long do we stay by the graveside before we we say there's hope? And 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 uh, one of the things I, I've seen in my own ministry with with facing people, you know, being with people who who have lost somebody, people who are grieving. The most important thing is to allow time for lament. It's allowed to allow people to be sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we're taking this from a political angle, 
perhaps to allow people to be sad and angry about the way of the world. Mm. But we're back to that question, how long? How long, oh Lord, do we let people say? And is it, and, and this is something that the, the, the church has faced with the climate crisis, several others, and, and of course there are unhelpful, talking about unhelpful responses from the USA, there are, there are unhelpful responses from some Christians, mm. not a minority, I would stress, who see the climate crisis as God's punishment on the earth, and it's all about um, the, the, the destruction of the planet will come and that will usher in the second coming. Not really helpful. There are those who say, oh, well, you know, it's sad now, but God's going to sort it all out. Mm. And there are Christians who are saying, we're all going to go to hell in a handcart. We're all doomed. Um, you know, so where 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 do you think we should sit? Where, where, what's what's a Christian response to this situation? It, focusing perhaps for the moment on the climate crisis. Well, I think that as Christians, we. Um, I think as Christians, we're called to sit in the reality, but we're called to be bring us about of a new reality and also to trust in ultimate hope. Like, I think that as Christians, we should hope for and works really hard for change in the here and now. Like we want like to be committed to action and we want to be committed to calling out our governments to action, potentially going along to protests at Just Love, we're going along to the XR protest, um, the big one, which is a coalition building protest about against climate change. Um, it's not gonna be- like when's, when's that? From the 21st to the 24th of April. Um, and we're gonna be going along with Christian climate action and, um, I think part of the reason that we're going is because it can feel really hopeless, but we need to be committed to going out and acting, acting as part of being part of bringing the kingdom, which is what we're called into. But we also like mm -hmm. I think there's a level to which we can acknowledge that potentially not everything will go how we hope mm -hmm. it will. But that doesn't mean that we're not called to be committed to living in that in between. Um, there's this um, book that I love called uh, The World's Not Ours to Save. And it's by this guy called Tyler Wig Stevenson, who is uh, like, he used to do anti-nuclear like protesting and he was really involved in that. And he talks about how we're like called to live in the dividing lines. We're called to live in the division between the fact that like the world is so broken and that we have this hope. And like, that's the space that as Christians we are called to occupy and we're called to like be part of, that with God um, and having confidence in the fact that God can renew um, and that God chooses to use us today to be part of bringing about that renewal. But it's it's really hard. I also don't buy the idea that like the dualistic kind of we could have gone into this a little bit um, mm. in Romans, but the kind of like dualistic, like, no, we are spirit when I think when the new kingdom comes, it's going to be a restoration of this world and that we will have physical bodies. And that also matters for the way that we treat the, the world now mm -hmm. and also the way that we respond to people as physical human beings um, and how we seek their flourishing and fullness of spirit life um, and how we love mm -hmm. our neighbors really well like that, including in the way that we look after our planet, well, God's planet that we've been given stewardship over. Perhaps, I mean... It's always, I always get told off of speaking in sermons. Uh, <laughs> um, but perhaps there is something that, that uniquely that Christians offer through the message of the cross, 
which is that resurrection is possible, change is possible, new life is possible, but it comes through the valley of despair, the valley of lament, and it comes, I think, the most important message that Christians can give, it comes through sacrifice. And that that is that is the sticking point, isn't it? Because we can solve all these problems. We can solve the climate crisis. We can share out water supplies. We can um, help people in need, mm. but somebody somewhere has to give up something they really like. Yeah. And that, that Christian message that message which is fundamental to the christian faith is something that perhaps the christian church can give and can share yes absolutely like absolutely mm. and also it's something that sh- like hopefully can be a motivating force for christians mm. and like a challenge to christians i always feel like as christians we should be at like the forefront of social justice mm. and so often we're not um like there have been amazing instances where we are and there are so many Christians who are really passionate and like work, have been working for years um, on social justice issues but yeah I think you're right in that there is a cost to following Jesus um, and we're mm. told that we're not we're told that it's there's going to be sacrifice there's going to be per- persecution and um, yeah, yeah I think you're right in that it is going to be costly and I think that also like sometimes we can think I think with climate like there are there are definitely things that we probably should all be thinking about doing on a personal level, like that will cost us maybe financially, maybe in terms of giving up some of like the things that we normally or have liked to eat and changing them for more um, eco-friendly alternatives or changing our buying or spending habits. But there's also costs potentially in terms of time, like giving up time to go along to a protest, giving up time to write to your MP, giving up like maybe even like using your influence to challenge your workplace to do things differently maybe thinking about like an ethical pension um rather than having a pension like challenging your workplace to try and get those kinds of things um which you're potentially risking difficult conversations um but yeah being doing those really pro i would say say the hardest thing from my experience with congregations and 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 people is to sacrifice your idea is to sacrifice your what you perceive to be your beliefs mm. so I, I would say you know in terms of the water crisis sacrifice nationalism sacrifice pride sacrifice your politics and say to political parties that you have perhaps supported your entire life and your parents have supported and your grandparents have supported we will not support you unless you do something about the climate crisis and we will you know we 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 will not buy your newspaper if I were being very controversial um unless you start responding to our views and I think I think sacrificing preconceptions and prejudices you know against veganism for example you know a lot of you know I think there's a real challenge there for us all well I think Sienna we better bring to a close there it's been fascinating talking to you I think we've actually achieved our brief and I think you have found hope in hopelessness so well done Sienna. <laughs> thank you for doing think, this with me oh no it has been great fun and thank you so much um and we wish you well uh for all your work uh, at present working uh working with um working with students and uh all the best for um your campaigning and your volunteering uh and um we just go out into the world now with our 
pull our Bibles in one hand and our newspapers in the other, um, saying, you know, what is what is the message that we as preachers and Christians can share with one another? How do we bring God's hope into the hopelessness that we see all around us? Um, I need I've got too excited and I've lost my script, which says <laughs> things like what, what we people have to do. Here it is. So um, if you enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. We also have online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. We also have a Facebook group which you can access through the Joint Public Issue Teams Facebook page and the website jpit.uk. That's jpit.uk. Um, let's go now then into both our politics and our pulpits with a blessing and a blessing this day for Passion Sunday. Christ crucified to draw you to himself, to find in him a sure ground for faith, a firm support for hope and the assurance of sins forgiven and the blessing of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you'll be with us next week. All the very best. God bless. <laughs>